Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. Today we're going to be looking at Lesson Twelve. This is Lesson Twelve of Thirteen. We are very near the end of the quarter, but we are not there yet, and we're looking at a very significant story and some lessons that we can learn from it today. But before we begin, let's have prayer. Father, we ask that you will be with us and bless us today as we look at this incredible story, a story of how you are very much at work in the world, and we ask that you will bless us with encouragement. From it, we thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we're grateful to have back with us again this week, Jeff Scoggins. Jeff, thanks for coming back with us again. Thank you. So, last time we came together, we were looking at reaching the unreached or mission to the unreached. This week, we're looking at a little bit different story. We're looking at Esther and Mordecai. It's a story that I think most of us are somewhat familiar with, and maybe even very familiar with. But perhaps we're going to learn a few new things about this story this week. As we go through the the lesson study, and as we as we kind of look at this story in a whole, so so give us a little summary of what we're looking at here.、Uh, where does this story take us, and what do you think we could learn from it? Okay,、um, maybe one of the first questions that we might ask in in a study about mission is how is this a mission story? There's voluntary mission and there's involuntary mission, right? And and so Esther and Mordecai. They were missionaries, not by choice, but、uh, that's how they had ended up, and so that's kind of where we're going—the the perspective we're going to be taking a look at this here.、Um, one of the key things that probably most of your listeners have heard is that this is the one book in the Bible, Esther, that never mentions God's name at all. The closest we get is to some prayer, and and that's it. And God simply, in fact. This bothers people so much that they that there are sometimes that people suggest that Esther shouldn't even be in the Bible. So, but it is, and I think it should be, and I think there's actually a very profound、uh, thing that's happening here in the story. But let's just kind of quickly go through the story,、uh, kind of summarizing the story overall in this first part of it. And and what I would like us to do is to kind of pull out everything that is. That seems like a coincidence. Some, what just happened, and at first, you know, something just happening seems normal because things do happen. But when it starts building, you start to think, "Wait a minute, could this really just happen?" All right. So, so we start off.、Um, king Ahasuerus, King Xerxes, is the king of Persia. Persia is at the pinnacle of its power. They are the empire that reigns over the known world, really, and、um, they're fabulously wealthy.、Uh, and the king is, how to say, he is all powerful as far as a human being can be. Anything he wants, he gets. Okay, so the story starts off describing how. Um, this this little girl is born named Hadassah, and her parents die, and she's an orphan. And her uncle Mordecai comes and gets her. Mordecai is in the service of the king, this King Ahasuerus, or Ahasuerus in in what is it Greek? Or, or, no, it's Xerxes in Greek.、Um, and、uh, he comes and takes her. He raises her, and the king decides. That he wants to、uh, attack Greece because he's never been able to subdue Greece, and so he calls this council of war. It's described as a banquet, 
And But really what's happening is it's a council of war because the Persians had this weird idea <laughs> that all councils of war had to take place in two phases. You would make a decision when you were sober, and then you had to get drunk and see if it was still a good decision. And then, or you would make a decision while you were drunk, and then you would get sober to make sure it was a good decision. So they <laughs> so they have 180 days of this partying, and drinking is the big thing, and so they're just getting smashed and and not. And they decide to go and attack Greece, which turns out to be a massive failure. They lose. And this is really kind of the decline of the, the, the empire, the Persian empire. Uh, but the king comes back, and of course, he's depressed. And so his counselors suggest, hey, um, you had to get rid of your wife. I skipped that part of the story. He calls his wife in during this banquet, the queen, to be gawked at by all the men, and she refuses, and so he kicks her out. And his advisors then come after this disastrous campaign and say, why don't you just start testing young ladies from around the, the empire and, and um, we'll bring them to you. And when you find one you like, make a new queen, you know, and this will make you feel better. And, and it gives you a little bit of a, an insight into the shallow character of this king because he, jo- he goes for it. Oh, great, let's do it. Okay, and so they go around kidnapping young ladies. And that's what this was. I mean, the storybooks sometimes make it sound like this is a beauty pageant and the the, the ladies were just overwhelmed and happy to be chosen. That's not the way it was. That's not what happened. So they come in, they they bring in these girls, they spend a night with the king, and they can never go back to life as normal. They go into a harem, never to marry, very likely to never even see the king again. It was uh, almost worse than a death sentence, really, for a young lady to do this. And so Esther is one of these that happens to be taken. Long story short, um, she pleases the king. We won't get into the ethics. We won't get into any of that stuff. That's not the point. Um, God, God works us, with us where we're at. She gains the king's favor, happens to gain the king's favor. Okay, so far so good. Then the story switches. And there's this guy named Mordecai, Esther's uncle. They don't know the connection. Uh, the Persians don't. And then there's Haman. Haman is the assistant to the president. He's the, he's the, the king's advisor. He's the, the second-hand man. And he owns the ring of power. Okay, the king, the king gives him his signet ring. Signet, signature, you know, I mean, he is king, basically. Anything that he wants to do, he puts that signet ring on, and, and the king's name is on it. Powerful dude. And uh, he doesn't like Mordecai because Mordecai won't bow to him. And so Haman is upset. Now, Haman, we sometimes miss this, Haman was an Agagite. Where does that come from? Most of us just read right over that and don't even think about it. But it comes from Agag, the king of the Amalekites, back from Saul's time when God said, go and wipe out the Amalekites, their cup is full. And Saul spared Agag, if you remember that. Now, apparently some other people got away or whatever it was because this is a descendant of that person, of that king. And the story also hints at the idea that uh, Esther and Mordecai descend from Saul's line. It's all in there and, and uh, in the story. So anyway, so you've got all this history. For anybody that recognizes what's happening here, they're going, Agagite, Kish, you know, the verb that was the Saul's descendants. Um, there's something more going on underneath the story here. So all of this background is alluded to, and you can just, if you know the stories, you can just incorporate it into the story. So 
uh, Mordecai won't bow. Haman gets upset. He goes to the king and he says, I'd like to wipe out this whole bunch of people because they're different. And the king, we already have some insight into his personality, says, yeah, whatever. Here's the ring. And so they go and then they toss some dice, pick a day. And this, of course, sends this ripple effect through the Jewish people. They're all going to die in a single day. There's lots of eschatological revelation stuff going on in here, too, that we won't have time to get into. But um, uh, anyway, um, this, of course, makes a crisis. Mordecai goes around weeping. Esther hears about it, finds out what's going on, and uh, she's scared to death because Mordecai suggests you need to go in and see the king. And, and, and uh, Esther says, I can't do that because as soon as you do that, I'm dead. You don't go to the king uninvited. <laughs> so she finally says, he says, you know, you're not going to get away with this. You're, you're, you're going to get, you'll be found out and you're, you're not going to get away with it. And so she says, all right, pray. Three days, no food, no water, pretty extreme prayer. And she's all go. She goes, she happens to gain the favor of the king. He doesn't kill her. She invites him to a banquet, two banquets. The Persians have this flair for drama. And if she had said what she wanted the first one, it would have been a kind of a letdown. She says, come back for another one. In the meantime, Haman goes home, brags to his wife, builds a gallows for Haman, I mean, for uh, Mordecai, that he's going to hang uh, Mordecai on, comes back, and Esther drops the ball. She says, I, my request is that you spare my life. And the king, what? He says, who's doing this? And she points at Haman. The king runs out angry, comes back to find Haman falling on the queen's couch, which is a big no-no. We'll develop that in the second part. And, uh, and so he, he uh, just kind of nods his head, and Haman is taken out. They cover his head. He's dead. And all of this happens through one chance after another. Oh, I forgot one critical part, and that is the night the king couldn't sleep. And he asks for the history to be read to him. He finds out that Mordecai saved his life one time, and he asks what reward was given to him. And they say, nothing, nothing. And so that's when he says, we need to do something. Who's in the court? Haman comes in just at that time, just happens to come in at that time. And he says, what should be done for the man who the king desires to honor? And Haman thinks, well, who could that be but me, right? And he makes this extreme thing that, that, you know, of uh, announcing and going before them on a horse and all of this kind of stuff. And uh, the king says, go do it for Mordecai. And of course, Mordecai, uh, Haman then is, is just absolutely embarrassed and, and shamed and through all of this. So all of this stuff happens, 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 and makes it to where the point where you start to think, wow, there's more really going on here. Sorry, I dominated this entire thing. No, you, you hit on so many points in there, and I want to kind of pull, pull them out. I'm just run through them. Okay. So these coincidences are what yeah. we might be tempted to call coincidences. Right. Esther's kidnapped. Could have been, could have been anybody Esther's kidnapped. Yeah. Mordecai overhears the plot against the king. Yeah. Uh, an Agagite who plots for the Jews' destruction. Yeah. Uh, Esther gains the king's favor a second time. We got Haman building the gallows the day before he himself is going to hang on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, the king has insomnia. Haman enters the court at a crucial moment. Haman honors Mordecai. Haman falls on Esther's couch. Haman gets the exact punishment he intended for Mordecai. Mordecai ends up with the ring of power. Hey.
Yeah. Coincidences. Over and over and or, over. Or not. Yeah. Or not. But that's kind of or what not. we're going to look at in the second part, and we're going to dive deeply into this. So the story of Esther and Mordecai, maybe some things that you haven't seen or heard before, but we're digging into that and looking at it from the perspective of sharing the gospel with others. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, now would be an excellent time to pick up the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath School lesson. It is God's Mission, My Mission by Gary Krause. You can find that at itiswritten.shop. Again, itiswritten.shop. And it adds so much more to what you're already learning in this quarter's Adult Bible Study Guide lesson. We're going to come back in just a moment as Jeff and I continue to take a look at the story of Esther and Mordecai, and we're going to see God very much at work, even if his name isn't found in the book. We'll be right back. Among Jesus' final words to his closest friends was a commission to take the gospel to the world. What would he say to his friends today? Don't miss To Seek and to Save. Join me for reports and insights from around the globe and see what God is doing to reach the lost with the good news. We'll visit It Is Written mission projects around the planet, and you'll learn how you can participate in growing the kingdom of God. Of the 8 billion people in the world, almost 6 billion are not Christian. And it's said that 3 billion people alive today have never had the chance to hear the gospel. It's time to seek and to save an inspiring look at the power of God to change a life and the opportunities you have to lead someone to salvation. To Seek and to Save, brought to you by It Is Written TV. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about the study of the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious about God's Word also. Well, I want to share with you another way that you can dig deeper into the Word of God. And here it is. Itiswritten.study Go online to itiswritten.study and you can access the It Is Written Bible Study Guides. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will walk you through the Bible. It's going to be good for you and it's the sort of thing that you will want to tell somebody else about so that they can dig deeper into the Word of God and come to know the things of the Bible intimately. As you get into the It Is Written online Bible study guides, you'll understand the prophecies of the Bible, the plan of salvation, and more. So don't forget, itiswritten.study. Itiswritten.study. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. Jeff and I are taking a look at the story of Esther and Mordecai, and we are taking a look at some of these, well, supposed coincidences that happen in this story. But as you mentioned, it's an awful lot of coincidences. You, you mentioned before that this story, and it's, it's been observed by a number of people, this story is lacking something significant. Exactly. But in, in its lack, it's almost as if it's screaming something significant. Exactly. So talk about that a little bit more. Okay. Um, yeah, this is the one book of the Bible where uh, God's name, his name, is never, never mentioned. Uh, and yet, by the time we get done looking at all the, the things that just happened, 
we can't help but recognize, at least I can't, can't help but recognize that God is the entire point of the whole story. But as much as we feel like God is absent today, this story is just all about that. It's, 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 this is reality. And if we know what to look for, we can see God at work all over the place. So if you and I were to read a, another book, a fic- work of fiction, if you will, yeah. it, authors of works of fiction don't rely on, coincidence. on coincidences. There's, right. There are things that happen. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, the book would be... Unbelievable. It, completely unbelievable. Unbelievable. But this, again, it, it seems like coincidences, yeah. a, a ridiculously long stream of coincidences. Right. So... Either that's a coincidence, <laughs> or, or there's actually something going on here. Right, right. Um, help us look at this this string of supposed apparent coincidences, mm-hmm. and and see see if we can pull something together. Walk us through some of these. Okay, sure. Um, we'll just take a, a smattering of them. There's a lot more that, that we could look at, but first of all, it's Esther who's kidnapped. All right, this is kind of like when Joseph is kidnapped. Was that a coincidence? No, God had a whole plan. So we start off with this. Now, to start off with one big coincidence, that's normal. That's fine. It's not a problem. Okay, but um, this is this is an absolute tragedy for for Esther, and like Joseph, sold into slavery, absolute tragedy. And the question they might ask is, where is God? And it's almost like the entire rest of the story is answering that question without ever mentioning God, and without her maybe even understanding or recognizing that God is moving here. And this is what I really like so much about the story of Esther, because when I put myself into that kind of life, saying, okay, maybe I don't see God everywhere, but let's take a look at what's been happening. Look back at how he's led in the past, right? Then Mordecai overhears a plot against the king. Now, plots against the king in this day and age were not surprising. Um, so, but the fact that he overheard, or overheard, this is something of a coincidence. But what maybe is even bigger coincidence is that he was not rewarded. Persian kings, or kings of all sorts, lived in fear for their lives. There were people lurking around every corner, ready to kill them. And so when, when someone showed loyalty, the rewards were extravagant. Extravagant. The fact that Mordecai was overlooked is just unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. Coincidence? Uh, okay, so let's just... <laughs> Keep going. We mentioned Haman was an Agagite. All right. Number one, there was no reason for the story to, to include that little piece of information unless it was significant. And so then we, like I mentioned at the first part of the, the, the thing, we, we, we have to bring in all of that story with it. it. Plus the fact that it mentions that Esther and Mordecai were descendants of Kish, who was Saul's father. Okay. So all of this stuff comes in. Coincidence? You know, as it builds, the more and more you start to think, okay, this is just unrealistic. Well, first of all, Esther gains the king's favor the first time. Coincidence? Well, maybe she was the most beautiful and all of that, but then she gains the king's favor a second time. This becomes more unrealistic because she's now just another woman in a harem of thousands, Mm. right? She was made queen. Yes, that helps. But the story points out significantly that she's concerned when Mordecai asks her to, to intervene in this, in this uh, situation of Haman that um, 
she says, the king hasn't called for me in more than a month. You know, so she's either fallen out of favor or he's just out of sight, out of mind. He hasn't thought about her. She's not at the level that it seemed like she was for a while. And so she's really putting her life in her hands to, to go before the king. And then you insert this bit of prayer in there. And so when the king holds out his scepter and accepts her and doesn't order her killed instantly, which is what happened usually when someone would come in like that, is it a coincidence? Okay, so God here has, has been inserted in, in really quite a powerful way, even though it's never mentioned. She comes into there. Now, Haman has this grudge against Mordecai. He is invited to the queen's banquet. The first day is great for, for Haman. He goes home and he's so pleased. He's telling his wife about how everything is great. He's the only one that has been invited to Queen Esther's banquet. Um, how his sons are, he has these 10 sons. And, but I still have this guy, Mordecai. And his wife says, well, build him a gallows. Hang him on it tomorrow. And when, and when you know the rest of the story, coincidence, yeah. right? Okay, so then she invites them back the second time. And there's this flair for drama. They love this. Uh, I had a class in this, in, in, in this particular book of the Bible once at the seminary, and, and they kind of really dug deep into some of this. This is the way the Persians worked, this flair for drama and postponing the request and all of this. And so when, this is fascinating, when Esther points to Haman, the king is angry. He jumps up and runs out into the garden. Why? Because he now has a problem. You see, whose signature was on the law? It was his. his own, yep. It was his signature. Can he come back and execute Haman for a law, that something that he did? No. So what happens? <laughs> he comes back in and... At that moment, Haman is falling on the queen's couch. Now, there's something you need to understand about the way that the Persians worked with the king and his wives. There was a seven-foot buffer zone around the queen that no male was allowed to enter. Instant death, if that were to happen. Okay. <laughs> Coincidence? If Haman wanted to secure his fate, it would be to cross that line. In fact, the rabbis writing the commentary, the Mishnah on this, said him actually falling on the queen's couch is so impossible that they say the angel Gabriel pushed him. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they say. You know, we, of course, have no hint uh, that, that sure, that's sure. actually reality. Uh, but... That's how unrealistic this coincidence is. And coincidence, the king just happens to walk back in at that moment, mm. and he instantly has the excuse that he needs to execute Haman. He's even going to, to molest the queen in my presence, and he doesn't even have to say kill him. At that moment, they put something over his head and take him out. And uh, once again, I skipped over the most, one of the most key, key parts of this because I, he, I talked about him building the gallows. But in between that night, the king couldn't sleep. And so 
what does he do? Coincidentally says, hey, read me history. Go through the books. Okay, maybe he's weird that way. I don't know. But, uh, you know, to me, it's just like, why would he do that? But they, they dutifully come in and they sit down and they start reading through and they just happen to read this part about Mordecai. And he just happens to say, well, how was Mordecai rewarded for saving my life? And it just happens that they overlooked this most important, incredible thing. And it just happens that he says, well, we need to fix that. And it just happens that Haman shows up right then in the court and just happens to be there to ask to kill Mordecai on a gallows that he built. I mean, come on. By this time, it's just crazy. It's ridiculous. The coincidences. If, if they were indeed coincidences. If they were indeed coincidences, which you just kind of think, no, it's not possible. But you've got God working through all of these things and bringing these things to happen and, yeah. and, and causing the king to, to say, hey, read me the record yeah. of things. And they chose to read a portion of the records that included Mordecai. Yeah. So, many, so many things that God allowed to happen, brought to happen just at the right time, at the right place, in the right way. So... And, and we didn't even hit on all the coincidences. No, there's here. more. There's, there's, there's more. So so many more. Yeah. What are what do we learn from these? I mean, this we we read through and we go, wow. What are the chances? Yeah. And and, and taken alone, zero would yeah. be the chances. Exactly. But if if God's involved, all of a sudden that changes everything. Right. So so talk a little bit about that. For me, I just apply this to my life today, really. The first question so many people ask when anything bad happens is, where is God? And Esther is, is an answer to that. And for Esther, the worst things that could have happened, happened. And yet, turns out, God was there. What does this have to do with mission? If you want to ask that question too, yep. evangelism, those kinds of things. Once again, Esther wasn't a volunteer missionary. And yet, she became And the Jews ended up in power. Mordecai ends up with the ring of power. Everybody starts to become Jews, it says in the story, because they they were afraid of what was happening there. So no matter what, if it seems like God isn't working, oh my, just look, open your eyes, and you'll start to see things that it's obvious that he is. And you're right, Jeff. Sometimes in our efforts to to share the gospel with others, it looks as if God isn't isn't there. there, That's right. When in fact... He's right there in the thick of things if we would, if we would simply if stop we and take a look. simply see it. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, thanks for helping to, to bring you. so much out of this story of Esther and Mordecai. And thank you for joining us again this week. We are almost at the end of this quarter, but we are not year, yet there. We have one more week before we finish out this quarter. And we've been looking at God's mission and my mission. God's mission and your mission. Each one of us is a missionary. Each one of us is a disciple. Each one of us is a follower and a sharer of Jesus. And this quarter, we're looking at very practical, very solid ways that we can do that. We look forward to seeing you again next week here on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written.